Greetings from Covenant Community of LJ, Georgia. We want to thank you for taking the time to listen to these messages God has provided to our fellowship from His Word. May He bless you richly as you seek Him. We'd like to invite you to be with us in person someday soon. And for information on that, visit us at covenantcommunitylj.com. And now, let's open up God's Word. so good that everything we sing, no matter how great and grand, it's all true. It's all true. He's that amazing. Man, I love being here. Uh, on that snow day, I was talking to somebody this week. I was like, you know, I really miss getting to come and celebrate and worship and praise our incredible God with you people. There's something special about it. So thank you guys so much. All right. Well, we got a lot to get into. You ready? Good deal. Flip to Galatians chapter three. We're going to knock this out. This is... Uh, if you haven't been here, we've been doing a study through the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Galatia. It's actually a region of Galatia. There's four churches that he went on a big mission trip there. And while he was there, uh, some amazing things happened. The church rose up and, and people came to know Christ. And four churches were planted in four different cities. And, and honestly, they kept chasing him from one city to the next because there was this group of people that came in behind him. Jesus would pro- or excuse me, Paul would proclaim the simple gospel that people are saved by grace through faith, and all of that was found in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. It wasn't by works that the law had been fulfilled, and that these people were invited into the family of God, and they could receive the Holy Spirit, and all this was by grace through faith, not of works, so that no one should boast. Well, the Judaizers, the Jewish people, came in after them, uh, desiring to put people back under the law, desiring to put circumcision back as a sign of the covenant, desiring to get people to go back to the law, and and some of them went all the way back to the law. There was another group of people who tried to find a hybrid. We'll be Christians, but we'll also observe the Jewish law, but still follow Jesus. But what Paul advocated was that we understand that the law of God had been fulfilled in Jesus Christ, and that by faith in him, we could receive all of the blessing and all of the, the goodness of what Christ accomplished by fulfilling the law. We could receive that by grace through faith in Jesus Christ because of his death, his burial, and his resurrection, he was a worthy sacrifice for our sin. And so Paul's proclaiming this gospel to people that they might discover the joy in it. But the Judaizers were swooping in, trying to get them to go back to the law. And Paul writes this letter back to these churches because he wants them to know that that is not what they should be doing. So this is a call to come back. So as we're in week four here, Paul has been appealing to the churches that he planted in the region of Galatia, encouraging them to continue in grace. And by that he's saying, continue in your faith in the gospel. Continue in your faith that Jesus Christ has accomplished everything that needs to be accomplished on your behalf. And so continue in this grace, this unmerited favor, this gift of God, where he has credited to you his righteousness and forgiven you of your sin. And so he he calls them to, to continue in their faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. So he makes this other appeal to the Galatians, warning them, to stop relying on the law for their justification by God. In other words, no one is saved by doing all the right stuff that the law says, okay? And Paul shared his story in the first couple chapters of this book about how he had it all going on. He was a, a Jew who was a Pharisee, was keeping the law. All of those things were sorted out on his behalf. But he converts from a Pharisee who relied on the law, relied on his genealogy, relied on circumcision. He shifted uh, his, his hope for justification from that to simply Jesus Christ and the grace of God that comes through faith in him 
And so that was his personal appeal. Now this is the next appeal. He's working through this systematically. He is tearing down what the Judaizers are trying to do. And on this one, he goes all the way back and makes an appeal all the way back to Genesis and point back to, back to Abraham. Father Abraham, way back to Father Yes, the song that you sang in BBS, that guy, Father Abraham, he goes all the way back to Genesis. And this is so important for us today because uh, even though this goes way back in history and it's going to seem like I'm going way out, Paul thought it was important enough to get into the details of what we call the Abrahamic covenant, a covenant that God made with Abraham. Because what he knew is that even though it's a little work to grab this and to get an understanding of this, he knew that if we could understand this, it would brighten up our understanding of what God has done for us. So I get that there's a little bit to grab here mentally. There's a little, it seems kind of theology kind of like this, but Paul thought it was worth it for us to understand this in the New Testament so that we could fully appreciate what Christ has done for us. So uh, he makes this appeal, and there's a couple of reasons why, which we'll get into. But God made this covenant with Abraham, in case you didn't get to, to get that in PBS. Okay, not everybody did but back in Genesis, first book of the Bible, he makes this promise to Abraham. He, he promises land. He promises offspring. He promises descendants and redemption to God's people. And, and that was the beginning of the nation that we call Israel. That's when it all kind of started out. And this promise was their hope for salvation. And God's plan was this, that he was going to choose for himself a people. And that was the Jewish people. And all that was going to begin through Abraham, he's going to make them his own. And his plan was to bless them, that they would be a blessing to the world. All the nations around them would see the goodness of God, the heart of God, and all that he had accomplished, and that people would find a way of redemption through God. And so the promise meant everything. It meant that you were invited into the family of God. It meant that there was an eternal promise, of, that you had a place. And it was incredibly important. So to, to get this, you've got to understand that Paul was offering and, and pointing back to this Hebrew shalom, this peace with God that you could have, this rest in God. He's pointing back to that, saying that this eternal story began long ago, and you've been invited into something that's bigger than you thought, and that there is restoration for people who are children of the promise. And so to get the full weight of this, uh, we got to know a little bit about the covenant. So uh, here we go. Y'all turn your thinking on for a second. It's going to be worth it when we apply this to our life. But here we go. It says this, uh, the a covenant, when we, when we see that, we know that a covenant is an agreement made between two parties. Okay? And that there's two types of covenants. And so I know this is a lot, but we're going to look at the Abrahamic covenant. And we're also going to be looking at the Mosaic covenant because both of those help our understanding of the new covenant that Jesus made with us, okay? So that's where we're headed with this. So there are two types of covenants, all right? There's conditional and there's unconditional. Conditional and unconditional. And uh, this conditional, another word for it is, is bilateral. In other words, there are two parties. It's an agreement that's binding for both parties on its fulfillment. So both parties agree to certain terms, okay? And they agree to fulfill those, but if either party fails to meet their responsibilities, then the covenant is nullified. Does that make sense? And so there's a second kind of covenant that we call an unconditional covenant that is a what we call a unilateral covenant. So it's just, just you'll get the, some of y'all are good with these, by and uni, a unilateral covenant that's right in there. 
And it is unconditional. The deal, you can find this in Genesis chapter 12, and, and later on you see the, the ceremony in Genesis 15. But we see this Abrahamic covenant, this covenant that God, this agreement God had made with Abraham. And it turns out it is this unconditional covenant. In other words, there are two parties involved, but only one has responsibilities to keep it. The other is passive. They just kind of hang out. And so this is what a covenant looked like back then, okay? The, the term was to cut a covenant, okay? We'd say to make a covenant, but they said to cut a covenant. And the way it went out is this, that they would take a bull or a goat or an animal, and they would take this, and this happened, you know, all over the place, but they would cut the animal in half. I know it's a little intense, sorry about that, but they would cut the animal in half and lay it, the halves, on either side. And those who would keep the covenant would pass through, that was almost fun, uh, <laughs> they would pass through the, the halves of the two animals. You all get this? And so when you pass through, they would sort of have this understanding, let it be to us as it was to this animal should either of us break this covenant. Follow me? So that was the deal, the cut of covenant. So it was a little gory, a little bit intense, uh, definitely not PG. Uh, so <laughs> when you see that, it was, it, was, it was to cut a covenant they would walk through. But when God makes this covenant with Abraham, this is really beautiful what he does, he puts Abraham in a deep sleep. Abraham is essentially rendered powerless during the making of this covenant. Abraham didn't pass through anything. Abraham didn't agree to any terms. Abraham was a recipient of this covenant. God made a covenant with him and took all of the responsibility for the fulfillment of this covenant on himself. And Abraham was merely a recipient of this thing. Y'all see this? Isn't that beautiful? Y'all see, some of y'all know the Bible, you're seeing some foreshadowing here. Abraham didn't pass through, but God did pass through. It's this beautiful, unconditional, unilateral covenant where God binds himself to this. And so Abraham contributes nothing. Now, Abraham, later, goes through this rite of circumcision. And circumcision was a sign of the covenant. He didn't have any responsibilities except to uh, display this. And so uh, he is entering into this rite of circumcision. So uh, you can read about this in Genesis 17, but all the males in Abraham's line were to be circumcised, and they carried this lifelong mark of the covenant. And they were part of this. It was a symbol of their physical blessing in the world. And so any descendant who refused that was in a way declaring himself apart and out of that covenant that God had made with his people. You get that? So, so that's why it was so important to the Judaizers, because it was a sign of this incredible covenant that God had made with them, this promise of so much. This is where it says in Genesis 12, it says, uh, this explains the covenant. This is what he says to Abram. This is his name before he turned into Abraham. And this is when that moment happened. He said, I will make you into a great nation, Abram. And I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And so this is this, co uh, this, this covenant that God had made with them. His name was Abram, which means high father, and he changed it to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. Isn't that beautiful? And so Abram became Abraham. Abraham and his wife... Sarah had some trouble getting pregnant. They had a lot of drama that happened in different places where it was complicated. I'll just leave it at that for the sake of time. Uh, Abraham was not a perfect guy. I'll put it that way. He made some mistakes. There was some dishonesty. There were some things that happened so much that pagans had to correct him. But Sarah um, and, and Abraham had some trouble getting pregnant. So uh, they bring in a servant uh, to be a surrogate. And well, you know, that's a whole separate issue, which Paul does get to later. But we get to see... Uh, that 
that God did eventually bless him with the son. And this son uh, is Jacob and Esau. Y'all know the story. Jacob essentially steals the blessing. Also, Jacob, not perfect. Uh, but Jacob ends up having 12 sons who eventually become the 12 tribes of Israel. And that's how this whole thing starts off. Well, Joseph, you know, is one of those. And he ends up in Egypt because of the famine. And then the story just continues. But all this begins with Abraham. So to be a son of Abraham was to be a child of this blessing. And it was so important. But, okay, that's the Abrahamic covenant. 430 years after the Abrahamic covenant, God shows up after rescuing those people out of Egypt, out of their slavery. Started off as a helpful thing dealing with famine, but eventually they started growing so fast, Pharaoh put them as slaves. And after a period of time, God came in to deliver his people, right? And as they go out of that, parts of the Red Sea, they pass through. That's a little picture of covenant. Isn't that beautiful? Um, just long time to go there. And then he goes up to the top of Mount Sinai, right? And when he gets up there, uh, God gives him the law. And then that gets more complicated. And eventually, uh, they are not keeping these laws. So the first time he comes down, they're actually breaking the laws that God gave him. And then the second time he goes down with, with the Ten Commandments. And, and they eventually, they agree to those, but they end up breaking those. And over time, a total of 613 laws were added. And so they keep adding laws. And the whole time, the Jews are like, we'll do this, we'll do this. In fact, as Moses is dying, he's, he's taking these, he's showing the people that you've got to do these things. And, and they're like, we will do them. And Moses says, but you're not going to do them. You can't do them. And they said, no, no, we'll, we'll do it. We'll fulfill the law. We got this. And Moses is like, you can't do that. And, and, and Moses knew they couldn't do it. Uh, the people didn't realize that. But the Judaizers, if you get this, now here's the deal. The law, they pointed back to the law potentially as a way to justify them. Now, circumcision was a sign of the covenant, but no one is justified by the law. Not even Moses thought that. The law came after the Abrahamic covenant. The law came in the Mosaic covenant. Y'all got this? Way later. So here's the order of things so far. Abrahamic covenant, Abraham was asleep. After that came circumcision. Then 430 years after that, you've got the covenant that God made with Moses where he gives them the formal law, okay? And these are the covenants, and this is how Jews related to God. So this is why this was an issue. I promise this is going to be important later. So the Jews held their status as children of the promise, and they're thinking that they were able to fulfill the law. But they failed to fulfill the law. Instead, what the law did was it exposed their rebellious hearts. And they began to see that they could not keep the law. And they would fail to be able to do that. But the Judaizers were swooping in and suggesting that only Jews, this is the deal, only Jews could become children of God. So there's a process here. The Judaizers are saying, well, in order to be a Christian, first you have to be a Jew. So that's why it's important for those who are coming to faith in Christ need to be circumcised. Because you need to be a child of the promise before you can receive the Holy Spirit. Are you all following me on this? You've got to be in before you can receive Christ in you. Before you can receive the blessing, you've got to be invited into the promise. And so that was the connection that the Jews had. Now, the way they thought you did that was through circumcision. And Paul is making this appeal in this because he wants them to understand the true sense. And Paul counters this whole argument by saying this. He's telling these Gentile Galatians, non-Jewish Gentiles who want in, right? They want in. And the Judaizers are saying, but you're not in. And he goes in and he says, the real sons of Abraham, the real sons of the promise are those who are of faith. Are you with me? 
He's, he's pointing back and he's saying, the real people that are in in the promise are the ones that have received it by faith. So before we read this passage, there's a lot of prep, right? But before we do, we've got to connect this with our lives because God's word is not a, 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 just a textbook for us to get information. It's got to impact our hearts. And this is where I see how this is going and hopefully see this personal. Because in our culture right now, what I'm seeing is that there is a huge longing for something none of us can live without. And that's the blessing of a father. There is this massive need in our culture for the father's blessing. And there's a sense that, that we've not been, young men, I've not been invited into manhood. Young women, I've not been invited into womanhood. In fact, we've got all these things like adulting. And the whole thing comes, it's like, I'm still a kid, right? I don't know if I've even been brought into like real life yet because I haven't had a father step into my life and be like, you're a man, son, it's time to move. I haven't had my dad step in and paint a picture of where we're going. I haven't been invited in. I need that father's blessing. And I'm seeing as a youth pastor for all these years the damage that has happened because the enemy has all but destroyed fatherhood all over the world. And in the USA, we see young kids and even older people searching, 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 searching for the Father's blessing. And honestly, I think that the love of a father is one of the rarest and most precious commodities in our entire world in 2020. Millions of kids never experience it, which is one of the reasons why we love Be Now, because we get to invite kids in for the community that haven't experienced the family. And millions of young men are out there trying to prove themselves to anybody who will pay attention because they haven't experienced the blessing of a father. And young ladies who are all over the world recklessly and desperately searching for love in all the wrong places because they haven't experienced the blessing of a father. And these young people that are wandering spiritually like orphans that spend their lives searching for what's missing and, and they don't know who they are, they don't know where they've come from, and so they don't know where they're going or how to get there. They need that father's blessing. And so many in our culture are trying to figure out where they fit in, if I'm lovable, who I am, what I am, do I matter to anyone? We've been made for a father's blessing. And so that's what the search is for. A father who says this, and, and, and this is the beautiful thing because this is a sensitive subject because uh, my family's complicated, so is yours. Everybody's is, and we get this, and we all would imagine a perfect world where everybody had the opportunity to have a perfect father. Some of us who are in here have been fathers. I'm not one, but I'm sure you always wish you could have been a better father or been more present, all these kind of things. And this is not to make you start evaluating your uh, ability as a father or as a single mom to make you feel inadequate because this is great news. This is the gospel. God is the father. And he said, I will be father to the fatherless. And there's no father on this world that has ever been able to live up to what everyone needs. That your blessing, even if you're a dad in this room, is not enough. It's a great start. And it can point them to the father. But every one of us needs the father. God's not a bigger version of your dad. He's not just an improvement on your dad. He is an absolutely new thing. He is God himself. He's the perfection, not a reflection of dad. He's the perfection of your earthly dad. And he can give that blessing to every single one of us. So please don't let that be a source of inadequacy in your life because we're really not, it's not about us in this moment. But here's the deal. God, the father, we need to hear him say, so we need to hear God say, what he said to Abraham, I am your God, I am your father, you are my child, you're part of my holy nation, 
You are loved. You are wanted. You're not an accident. I chose you. You're invited into my story that's been going on for eternity, long before you showed up, and a story that will never end. And you have a place here, and you're always going to have a place here. And I'm going to show you how to live and how to love the way that I designed you to love. And I'm going to transform you, and I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to take out your heart of stone. I'm going to put in you a new heart and empower you to be who God made you to be. And the father looking at us says, welcome home, my son. Welcome home, my daughter. And this is what he's called us into. And so that's a lot. Let's get to our passage, right? <laughs> so Galatians chapter 3, verse 6. Uh, check this out. This is cool. Paul is appealing to this. Now that we've got this picture of what's happened, he's appealing to this. He says, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, all he did was believe. God spoke and he believed what God said was true. That's the essence of faith, by the way. Faith is not uh, what you hope he might do. Faith comes through hearing and hearing the word of God. And so when God says, I will do this, and you believe that he will do that based on his character and his nature, his track record, and that everything we know that is good, we know is good because he defines what is good. Whatever his character and nature is, is our point of reference for everything that is good and right and holy and everything that's evil. And so because we know he is good, uh, we can trust that what he says is true, and that is the essence of faith. When God says, I will do this, and you say, I believe you, that's faith, right? Not say, God, I think you should do this, and I'm going to convince myself that you're going to do this and make myself believe that you're going to do this enough, or then you'll have to. That's not really what faith is. Faith is believing when God says, I'll do this, that he will do it. So um, anyway, so Abraham believed, put his faith in God. God had given him this covenant, uh, and so he put his faith in what God said, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And so verse 7 says, know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. Beautiful. We get invited. By faith. He says, in the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham. This is cool, right? So this Abrahamic covenant, he's like, this is the gospel. And we're all about the gospel here. We want you to see how we relate to God. And he's saying, God preached the gospel to Abraham, saying that in you, all, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So he's saying we can experience the blessing of Abraham by faith. This is good. And so the Judaizers were saying that the inheritance of the promise, all the goodness that comes with the promise, came through the law and circumcision. And what Paul has run in here and he's saying through this letter to these four churches, he's saying the inheritance of the promise has and always will be received through faith. He's saying it never was by fulfilling the law. And so Paul gets into this long thing. So uh, I'm going to read this passage to you because it's so good, all right? But here's the thing. It's a lot, and I don't know if, if one reading is going to help anyone fully understand it. So I've got a five-minute video I'm going to show you at the end of this that makes this much clearer with pictures. And that's what I need <laughs> in my little mind. So um, you're, this is going to be two shots through this. So let's read it. It says, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. Notice he said, rely on works of the law. This is really crucial to Galatians. God wants us to be obedient people. It's very, very important to him. In fact, it was our rebellion that made Jesus go to the cross. So grace is to fix what went wrong, but it's not okay just to keep doing what's wrong, right? And, and sort of 
disrespect the grace that we've been given. So it does matter how we live. What Paul's really getting at, the essence here, is that we're, he doesn't want us to rely on our works. It doesn't mean that we don't need to do any works, right? He's saying you don't rely on those for justification. So this is really important. He says, if you do, you're under curse. For it's written, curse be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. And now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. And Christ redeemed us from the curse. This is beautiful. Christ, this is verse 13. You may want to underline this. This is really good. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. By becoming a curse for us. Praise Jesus. For it is written, Curse is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, all this stuff we talked about, might come to the Gentiles. That's great news. That's you and me, right? He says, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. I love this. And so he goes on to give a human example. And this is where it gets confusing. So put your seatbelts on. The video will explain. Uh, so to give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or cancels it out uh, or adds to it once it's been ratified. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say into offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. He said the law came 430 years afterward. It does not nullify a covenant previously ratified by God. So he's saying the Mosaic covenant of the law came after, and it doesn't change the eternal covenant that God made with Abraham. What God said with Abraham, the covenant he made with him, that unilateral, unconditional covenant that God made with Abraham still stands. Even though Christ has fulfilled the law, the covenant still stands with Abraham, and he wants us to know that part, which is really important. He says, for, oh, I said, did I call it, yeah, make the promise void. So the, the promise is not void just because Jesus has fulfilled the law. He's getting to that. In verse 18, he says, for if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. In other words, if you work for it, it's not actually a gift. He said, it's come by promise, though. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. So there's this really difficult question. Why do we have the law then? What was the point? And he starts answering this. So why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. He's like, let's protect the whole God is one thing. <laughs> so don't misunderstand. Verse 21, he says, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? He says, no. So he's like, is the law evil? Is it contrary to what God's doing? Did God contradict himself? He's like, no. The law had a part to play. He says, certainly not. He says, for if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture, which was the law, imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. So that's a lot. And I get that that's more than we like want to get on Sunday morning. Paul thought it was worth explaining to these people. He thought it was worth their time to read it and to understand it. They had a, maybe a better foundation for some of these things than we do, but there's great nuggets of truth in here that transform our hearts if we're able to get this. So Paul is simply explaining this. 
He is inviting these Gentiles and non-Jewish people into the promise. He's saying, come on, come on in. It's by faith, not through the law, not through circumcision. Come in and receive it. The promise predated circumcision and the law, and that Abraham received it by faith, not through circumcision or keeping the law. So Abraham was credited righteousness even before he was circumcised. You see this? Even before the law had been given, he was credited righteous by faith. And so uh, in order to get this, I think it's probably time to go and watch this so you'll get to see. The promise is that uh, God is going to do some amazing things in us and, and, and work in us in a, a special way. So um, there's a lot to say here, but let's go ahead and, and play this, and, and this will help most you understand. most familiar with the Ten Commandments in the Bible, stuff we generally take as good advice. Don't murder, don't steal. Honor your parents, the list goes on. And those are just the first 10. There are actually a total of 613 commands, all given to ancient Israel, found in the first five books of the Bible, which in Hebrew are called the Torah. Now, the word Torah is usually translated in English as the law, because it has all of these laws in it. And as you read through them, you wonder, am I supposed to obey some of these, all of these? I mean, what's the purpose of the law. Well, that translation is kind of confusing because while the Torah has laws in it, the book itself is fundamentally a story about how God is creating new kinds of people who are fully able to love God and love others. And when Jesus taught about the Torah, he said that he was bringing that story to its fulfillment. So walk me through the story and how it's fulfilled. So the story begins with God creating humanity who rebels. And God chooses Abraham to bless all of the nations through his family, who end up in slavery down in Egypt, and so God rescues them. Then at Mount Sinai, God makes a covenant with Israel, like an agreement. And all of the laws that Moses gives to Israel are the terms of that agreement. They're like a constitution. And so some of the laws are about rituals and customs that set Israel apart from the nations. Other laws are about social justice or morality. And by following these, Israel would show the other nations what God is like. Okay, so the rest of the Torah is just a complete list of laws that Moses gives Israel? Mm, no, the rest of the Torah just continues the story. And the 613 commands are only a selection from that original constitution. And even these have been broken up and placed at strategic points within the story. Now pay attention, because you'll see a really clear pattern. Moses gives the first laws to Israel. Yeah, don't worship other gods, don't make idols. And then right after that, there's a story of Israel breaking those very laws. Yeah, they worship the golden calf. And so Moses gives some more laws, and then you get more stories of rebellion. Some more laws, rebellion again, some more laws, more rebellion, and you start to see the point. Right, no matter how many laws, they're just going to continue to rebel. So at the conclusion of the Torah's story, Moses gives this final speech to Israel as they prepare to go into their new home. And he tells them, you guys, I know that you're not going to follow all of God's laws. You've proven to me that you're incapable. And Moses says the problem is that their hearts are hard and that they're going to need new transformed hearts if they're ever going to truly follow God's law. And he was right. I mean, the story goes on to recount Israel's total failure. They go into the land, they break all the laws. Right. Now, the next section of books in the Jewish tradition are the 15 books of the prophets, and they reflect back on the story. For example, Ezekiel, he said that if Israel was ever going to obey the law, God's Spirit would have to transform their hard hearts into soft hearts. And Jeremiah said that's what a man wouldn't feel like a duty, but they would be written deep in their hearts. And Isaiah, 
He promised a future leader, Israel's Messiah, who will lead all of the people in obedience to the law. Now, in Jewish tradition, all of these books together are called the prophets, even the historical books, because they're continuing the story told from the perspective of the prophets. Okay, so we have the law and the prophets, and they're telling one connected story about God's desire to bless the whole world through a people, Israel, who it turns out needs a new heart. Yes, and Jesus saw himself as continuing that story. So he agreed with the law and the prophets when he taught that it's out of the human heart that come the most ugly parts of human nature. It's like the default setting of our hearts is opposed to God's law. But Jesus also said that he came to solve that problem, and in his words, to fulfill the law. So what does he mean there, to fulfill the law? Well, first he said that the demand of all of the laws in the Torah could be fulfilled by what he called the great command, that we are to love God and to love others. So that seems pretty easy. I mean, we all want to love. Well, we think we want to love. But Jesus showed how love is far more demanding than we realize. So he quotes the law, do not murder. And he says, yes, not killing someone is a very loving thing to do. But then he also says that when you treat someone with disrespect, or when you nurse resentment against them, you're also violating God's moral ideal, because you're not treating that person with love. And so Jesus said true love ought to extend even to our own enemies. So even though this command seems very simple, Jesus showed how our hearts are not currently equipped to fulfill even this basic command of God to love others. And that's kind of a downer. But where Israel failed, Jesus brought the story to its fulfillment. As Israel's Messiah, he fully loved God and others, and he showed all of the nations what God is truly like. He did this through his acts of compassion and mercy, and ultimately by loving his enemies even unto death. And after his resurrection, he told his followers that he would send God's Spirit to transform their hearts so that they could follow him and fulfill the purpose of the law, to love God and to love their neighbor. So this fulfills the story of the law and the prophets, or in the words of the Apostle Paul, the one who loves fulfills the law. Awesome. Much, much better. You got it now? Awesome. You know, some nodding. So the law played its part, and this is in the treatise. We understand that it it restrains sin. The law uh, revealed our sinful and rebellious hearts. So it restrains us like a guardian. It it reveals our sinful and rebellious hearts like a mirror. It reveals, in a way, like a schoolmaster, what is pleasing to God. And so it plays a good part, but the, the misuse of the law was attempted to be justified by works rather than in Christ by grace through faith. So it's a mirror, it's a, it's a guardian, it's a schoolmaster, but it had no power to change our hearts. Circumcision was merely a sign of that. And so with this new covenant, it's, it's a beautiful thing. What he's saying is this new covenant is that God says, I will write my laws on their hearts. I will exchange their heart of stone and put in them a heart of flesh and give them the spirit so that they might be able to obey. And what, what Paul is writing here to the Galatians is he's saying, you couldn't fulfill the law. You failed to do that. Only Jesus did it. And so the only way for salvation, the only way to be invited into the Father's blessing, the covenant that he made with Abraham, is receiving it by grace through faith. He's done it all. And they're like, well, what about this law? And it's like, well, Jesus has done it. You can't fulfill it without him. You need him in your life. Come to him. Receive mercy. Receive grace. And and come and be transformed. 
And so there are three quick things that you need to get from this before we, we sing. And here's the deal. And this one I'm not going to preach on because you know it, but you've got to say it in this passage. The first one is this. You have been justified by faith, not by the law. Your right standing with God comes by faith, not through keeping the law. It doesn't mean that the law is not good and we shouldn't attempt to be obedient, but it says this, that you failed. You didn't do it. Only in Christ. It's the finished work of Jesus is how we receive it, by grace through faith. The second thing you need is this. That when you were saved, you received a new heart through the Holy Spirit. You get a new heart. Transformation through the gospel happens inside out. That's how it works. You can't grit your teeth and discipline a change of heart. You can make yourself do stuff you don't want to do, but God wants more than that. He doesn't just want better behavior. He wants to recreate you and make you a new creation and give you a new heart. So even if you can behave better, that's still not enough. God wants to make you one who loves him and loves people. I love the term that they use in the video. The default setting of our heart is to sin. And God wants to give you a new one of a whole new thing. The problem is not that you're a bad person. The problem is that you have a dead heart and you need a new one and only Christ can give that to you. And so when we extend the offer for salvation, we're not saying come and save yourself. Come and adhere to the law. Come be a better person. We'll help you. Come figure it all out. That will come later. But none of that can even be on the table until you have a transformed heart. Does that make sense? doesn't matter how we live. That's why we preach so much about obedience and how we honor God the way that we live. It's important. We don't want to sidestep that, but you have no shot at that unless you have Christ in you. No shot at all. And even if you can work it out, God wants more. He wants to change your heart. So you've been set free to obey. You hear that? So the freedom in Christ is freedom to obey. No longer slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness. You have a new master. Third thing is this. And this is, this is where we're going to hang out. And, and band, if y'all want to begin getting ready, you have the Father's blessing. You have the Father's blessing. That blessing everybody's looking for, you have. You're no longer in Christ a slave. You're no longer an orphan imprisoned by the law. Instead, you're a son or a daughter who has been invited to the table, set free by the grace of God. And you have a father. And he says that you've been made a co-heir with Christ. To be honest, I don't even fully understand that. But it sounds awesome. Like, you know, we've been invited into this, this story that has been going on for eternity. And I, I love this. So essentially, you get a new birth certificate, right? It's just so cool. I mean, right now, everybody's looking at their birth certificate, essentially, in our culture, and does not know their family, don't know where they came from, and we're confused on when we're born, and why we're here, we're not even sure what gender, any of that stuff. Here's great, great news. God has defined all of that for us. And in Christ, you get this incredible blessing of a father where he says, right there, this is your name. This is who you belong to. You are mine. Isn't that awesome? You get a whole new spiritual certificate. You get a, the blessing of a father who wants to engage, who's present in your life. You get this whole new identity. Instead of, it says this, instead of not being a slave anymore, you're not free, you're not a barbarian, it's Jew, Greek, none of that, male, female. He says all of that is erased in a certain sense. It's more important that you are in Christ. That's who you are. That's your new identity. In Christ, you don't have to sit on the back seat of the church and be a spectator watching all the real spiritual people do this. No, at the foot of the cross, God has leveled it. 
and we are equal. Our little things that we build our identity around, God says, I've got something better than that. You build your identity around me. You have the Father's blessing. You didn't earn it, and you're right. You're unworthy, and you're right. You blew it. You're right. You don't deserve it. Like, if that's how you're feeling, well, I just don't know if God would ever do that for me. Well, I have great news. Jesus knew that you were going to ask that question, and so he told the story. He told the story of a of a father who had two sons. Y'all remember this? And he had this younger son who began to see his inheritance that he'd been promised. And he decided he wanted it his way and he wanted it in his timing. He wanted it now. So he went off to a far country with his half and he began to squander it, doing all sorts of licentious things, sinning and all sorts of things. And eventually what happened to him is what sin does to us. It puts us back into slavery. And he found himself as a servant in a pig pen poor and empty and had nothing. And in a moment, he remembers that he has a father, right? Seemed like he was far away, but he remembered he was a father. And he thought, you know what, I'll go home and I'll make a big apology and I'll do whatever, maybe I can make myself a slave to my God. There's no way he would actually give me my blessing back as a son, but maybe he would let me in as a slave. And so he goes home and he makes a long walk. Can you imagine what I've been going through his mind? Scripture kind of points to the fact that he was rehearsing an apology. You know, he's sitting there like, when I get there, I'm gonna say, okay, dad, this is what happened. I just, just make me a slave. But you guys know the story. From while he was still, I love this, while he was still a long way off. A long way off. In fact, that's the same description Paul uses to describe us Gentiles, far off. He said, we were far off, and we've been brought near. He's not talking about distance, he's talking about far off in the covenant. You weren't there, and this is beautiful. I love this. You, while he was still far off, the father took the initiative and ran to him. Isn't that awesome? The father runs to him. And scripture paints this picture where he just throws his arms around him in this big giant hug. You can only imagine what that would have been like. Not one of these side hugs from dad or, you know, a fist bump. This is full on, bam, I'm coming in for a hug. Hugs him and, it, oh man, and, you know, he's probably sweaty and breathing hard from running all the way over there. He didn't care. He just like, it was no, no dignity, none of that even mattered in the moment. I'm just my son who I love, and he's coming home, and he runs over and he grabs him. And he goes and he puts a, he, he sends the servants out. He says, go get a party ready. Sacrifice the goat. Let's get it ready to go. Let's go cook the goat. And let's, let's throw a party, invite everybody. This is a big deal. Oh, and go get the robe of your righteousness. Bring him back in. He's, not, he's like, but dad, I just want to be a slave. He's like, no. He never even gets the apology out. He's like, shush. You are my son. He was dead and now he's alive. So get the get the the robe, bring it in and wrap him in that robe. Put the ring on his finger that represents that he's my son. Bring him in and let's throw a party. And there was an older brother who was like, Well, I've been here the whole time. You never throwing a party like that for me. This is coming out of my inheritance, says paying for this party. Not sure how I feel about this. The father didn't care. He keeps throwing the big party. Can I tell you something? Everything in scripture points back to Jesus. When he tells this parable, I think God is the father and that story's really about him. The older brother is not the best older brother, but Jesus is a better version of that brother. Our older brother, Jesus, said my inheritance will be shared and I will sacrifice myself. I will empty myself and become poor. I will become a curse that they might be blessed. I'm willing to lay down my inheritance to invite them in. And our older brother Jesus made it possible. And our Father has wrapped his arms around us in Christ by grace through faith. Not because the older brother fixed anything yet, he had time to obey yet. 
He is in. And listen, I, I just want to give this to you. And, I, and I, I'm not going to like tell you you've got to jump so high to get it. Here it is. This is the gospel. That in Christ, if you will come home, if you will go to him, if you will, and you can take one step, and maybe not even that, to be honest with you. Scripture says we are powerless, we are dead. The Father will run to you, and he will save you and empower you to receive the grace and mercy of God. So if there's even a glimmer in your heart of, I wonder if, could it be possible, would the Father ever, but I don't know. And if your eyes keep going back to all your failures, I'm just asking you to lift up your head and see Christ lifted up, who has made a curse on your behalf. And be drawn unto him and say yes to the Father and enter into and receive the grace and mercy of God. Believe, repent of your former life, repent of your sin, and lay your life before Jesus. And you're like, well, I don't know if I can be good enough to stay a Christian. God knew you couldn't be good enough, and that's why he's taken out your heart of stone, and he's going to put in a new heart. He's going to make you a new person. He's inviting you into a story that's been going on long before you've ever been born that has no end. And he's offering you a place at the table. He's offering you a place in eternity. He's giving you the Father's blessing. And it costs him everything, but it will cost you nothing. Just believe that is the gospel. You don't need to do anything to your body. There's no rights. There's nothing else like that. It's simply just believe he's done it all. And we come in here and that's why we sing he's worthy of it all because there's no glory for him to share with us. Because we didn't do anything. He did it all. And that's why we give him glory and we pray. That's the gospel. Praise God, right? We want to thank you one more time for taking the time to listen to these messages that God's provided our fellowship. We believe he's doing something special among us and would love for you to be a part of it. We hope that you'll take the time to come and visit us in person someday soon. And we invite you to visit our website, covenantcommunitylj.com. There you'll find information on how to contact us if you have a prayer request or if there's a specific way we can minister to you and your family. Until then, God bless you.